Welcome to this episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with co-host Justin Sabinski, we're happy to welcome Paul Hertel to the show this week. Paul is an interfaith minister and works in front of, behind the scenes in the entertainment industry, developing actors, projects, and characters uh, with a focus, and this is really cool, on creating conscious content. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And good afternoon or good evening, depending on which part of the country you're in. <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> so, Paul, I, I would love to understand like, what sort of conscious content you're creating uh, and how you come up with the ideas for that. Um, I'll, just to start, an inspiration for it came in the closest thing I can say to uh, uh, intuitive hit, a big, a big intuitive hit where I was like, oh, man, I have to do this. Uh, right. And it kept hitting me harder and harder uh, in life circumstances, one which was more of a life or death moment, and going, oh, I better do this because I don't know how long I'm going to be around. So um, one of the, it kind of started eight or nine years ago because I was working in publishing. And I would talk to a lot of like integrative health doctors who had been on the path of consciousness since the 60s. And so they were early adapters and they were now doctors and nurses and health professionals and had worked in Washington, D.C. And they had worked for major hospitals in New York City and everywhere. And I was like, how come these stories aren't out there? And so what I realized was they were kind of building these platforms to get uh, a higher, let's say, a higher level of knowledge out there through these channels of, you know, at the time for me, it was magazines, but they all had, you know, they were guests on radio shows, they had TV shows, they were you know, interviewed and in books with Deepak Chopra and all that. But what I saw was that um, there wasn't a whole lot of content that was actually trying to affect people's way of viewing or conscious way of even absorbing media. And I was like, it's like at this time in our lives with everybody absorbing so much media from so many ways, I was just like, well, wait a second. We know that it affects our brains. We know that it affects our eyes. We know how it affects our emotions. So I was like, nobody's really using media in a way to impact I'll dare say the soul level or the, you know, the etheric level, the conscious level. And bit by bit, as I went down the path, I saw that there were people trying, but it hadn't um, hit, let's say. It, was, it wasn't necessarily working um, in a mass media way or attracting the kind of advertising money to keep something going or the viewership enough that they would pay for it. So I, I, I moved out to Los Angeles in order to do that element. So it, uh, cur it currently is reflected in uh, a number of shorts that we worked on. My first project that I did was a uh, pilot called Ask God Here. And uh, it was in New York, and we interviewed... Um, five very progressive spiritual thought leaders and traditional religious leaders. And it was based around um, Occupy Wall Street and what was happening because one of the versions of Occupy that inspired me was Occupy Faith, which grew out of that. And there was literally a corner uh, down in the, in the area where every in Sukati Park, 
that there was people doing faith healings, <laughs> there were people having drum circles, there were people that were just there for spiritual conversation, and I was like, this is awesome. This is what we should be doing as a culture. So I saw that there was, you know, a need in response to an actual uh, relevant event. Um, so anyway, out of that, we created uh, docu this documentary talking to those people. And then uh, once I got out of the world of publishing since the magazine folded, <laughs> that was more around holistic content and integrative health content. And, you know, my last big push on that <clears throat> magazine, which was one of Martha Stewart's publications, um, was getting an article in there about the use of uh, psychedelics in medicine and how people had been using, you know, trace amounts of these things. And I, I was like, well, Time Magazine had covered this and USA to US Today. I was like, it wasn't a new thing, but I was like, it's Martha Stewart. And if, <laughs> I was like, if, one, if we can get an article like that in there about mushrooms, man, then I finally did something right. <laughs> but then the magazine folded, so I don't know. <laughs> but then, uh, so I moved out here and um, my girlfriend, partner, and I, we did um, an initial project out at a place, you know, we might be able to talk about is Column Seal, which is a megalith park. And we, I've found, a, just as you probably have, a number of sacred sites that yeah. exist around the country, but people often don't know that they're right in their backyard because it's not something that's, um, again, in a masked way known. So we did a, a short around that place. And then it in got us to go back to Wisconsin and what we thought was going to be more about um, some of the mound builder culture that's in this part of Wisconsin um, really developed into a different piece more about the region and how things shifted for a, a, what was very much a uh, local regional culture that reflected more 18th, 19th century Germany more so than it did 21st century America, rural America. But all of a sudden, what used to be farmlands, you know, changed into windmill farms. And what used to be, you know, the small cows on the pasture were now, you know, 700 head corporate cattle farms. And so you had this conflict of periods hitting. So we captured that in a positive light instead of just like pointing out the evils and errors you know, of how we're working as a society, more to give the reflection of uh, what are we giving up as a, as a people, you know, in order to move ahead. So, and so those are just like two examples or three of just a different shift on uh, hopefully making people think a little, but not, we dominate hopefully on a visual level, more so than just as much as I'm talking now. <laughs> but it's a podcast, so I'm supposed to talk, right? Yeah. I think it's a good thing. You sound very articulate, and, and uh, you, you jumped around to, from a couple of different ideas. Um, so I guess I, I would be uh, remiss to not ask you kind of your history in general. Like, how did you get to where you are um, hitting all these uh, very interesting topics? Like, how did you get here? Um, as as I'm, it's probably with you and the number of people you've met on the path. Uh, it's it's a path. <laughs> All of a sudden, people are in your face. Um, 
Um, in the recent, my the recent iteration of it, it was my most uh, inspired awakening moment. Is I, I have a great mentor, John Carroll, and he is a full time healer, and he worked. He used to be a dental technician, somebody who like made your little pieces for your teeth that you have replaced and he had a great business and he would, you know, be working with gold and silver and doing million dollar deals and stuff like that. And he had always had a gift of uh, healing. And I started working with him when I was working on my own uh, issues, dealing with anxiety and depression and trying to find another way of dealing because I didn't want to buy into solely the pharmaceutical way, uh, which, you know, it has its goods and bads, I would say. And so that I had a direct awakening experience with him that really shifted my um, understanding of who I was. And he, he comes from a place more of you already, which I like with your theme, you already have all of your answers and healing inside of you right. and you only can see and recognize the things of what you already know as a soul being and it's not any he would you know he never made it about him he was always just like no this is what comes through me um but you'll only understand it from where you're at so it was never so much him saying i'm your teacher and this is how it is it was more you got to do the work in order to understand yourself. So that was whatever, 15 years ago or so that really launched me into uh, a greater way of trying to both understand myself as well as how can I have more conversations like we're having now with people? And why isn't it a norm? Why is it so hard to just, you know, I, I've done it occasionally. <laughs> I'm not, doesn't make you the perfect party guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Justin, Justin, uh, Justin can allude to that. He's tried this topic with numerous girls on, well, he's on Tinder dates. Never goes well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, uh, once, once you get a taste for it, it it's like there, there is no going back to how's the weather, you know? It, it, yeah. It's just, it, it's so meaningless. And, and you, you're just like, you're like, well, I would just prefer to sit here in silence than to not talk about the stuff that actually matters to me. And yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I would, I would be totally fine if you wanted to sit in silence, but I'm not going to do that. That, uh, oh, you know, oh, let's get drunk. And uh, I, I did all that stuff. It's no good anymore. Yeah. 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 And that, I mean, for me, it's like, that's part of what I think the challenges of watching media, like I don't watch tons of it because I'm like, uh, it's not making me think in a new way. It's not challenging me in some way. It's kind of like, well, let's go for a very obvious thing. We're on often lowest common denominator and it keeps people engaged. And I have a friend who says, you know, uh, the pigs will eat what you feed them. And it's unfortunately, you know, media works that way because it's just like it's digestible and you can dispose of it quickly. And, you know, if you can find the other stuff more and more. It's not that it doesn't exist. And, you know, companies like Gaia have kind of dominated that market. But I think there's uh, there's room to expand off of the uh, either the talking head model or just the documentary you know, let, let's show you something fascinating about UFOs again. Yeah. 
that, that's part of the issue, though, with the with the talking head thing is that, um, and it's the number one thing that, that the media doesn't want you to know about is that these conversations that you're supposed to have are supposed to be with yourself. Um, they're, they're supposed to be you looking within. Um, and I guess you, you kind of, I, and, and I might be wrong here, you, you can tell me otherwise, but it's like, um, how many times do you have to tell somebody that, that the answers are within until they shut you off and they, they say, hey, you're right, it's, it's enough, I don't need you anymore, I have to go uh, inside myself, I have to work on my shadow and, and do all that work myself. Um, so it, is there something to keep talking about? Because the thing that the media does is they just make up things um, and, and put them completely out of proportion, which is the complete opposite that, that you do um, when you're doing work on yourself. So what do you think yeah. about that? It it brought to mind one of the uh, other uh, subtle hints, let's say. I, I was very involved with an organization called The Art of Living, which is uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar had launched in India. And it's a fascinating um, inst um, organization that's in, I think, 75 countries. And I was at the New York Center. And it's where I learned to meditate and where I learned um, pranayama breathing and a lot of these, a lot of techniques. And it was taught to me by a, a MD and psychiatrist from Columbia University. So I was just like, well, this stuff has some cred, you know, because like this guy, <laughs> like he's got the, he's got all the letters behind his name and this is what he teaches his people. So, but when I was walking there, one of the times I saw this just horrific advertisement on the side of a phone booth when there used to be phone booths. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was like the most gory, bloody picture. And I'm going to a meditation center, which is all, you know, working on your subtle body or being subtle and, you know, quiet and listening inside. And I was like, well, we, I think we've gone to the edge in a lot of ways of how extreme we can be and how let's say ugly or how graphic we have pushed and pushed and pushed in the world of media, what that looks like and how just uh, disturbing I think we can make it. The thing that hasn't happened is the opposite response to that of how subtle can we make an image? Because my experience is like when you're in nature, for example, it's the quiet all of a sudden like you hear the lap of a wave and when you actually get a chance that you're still enough to hear that sound that's when you're like hey i've got something going on there's something deeper here so i that's that's my uh response to i guess finding the subtle it just hasn't really been it's experiential. You have to, you know, you have to create that space around you to find it. You, you talked about um, your teacher and having an awakening. Um, can you describe that? Because I, I have what I ha what I term an awakening, and I'm really interested to see how it how it compares. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because like I think. Um, I have, there's a joke about, I, I know more people that have, uh, you know, either had died and seen the other side or had enlightenment moments that changed their entire lives than I know people that have funded films, which I'm, you know, trying to do. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is another, another reason I'm on this 
call instead of work. Um, <laughs> but for me, the the experience that was very direct, and it brought me back into my own exploration of mystical Christianity. Um, I was working with my friend, my teacher, and now friend John Carroll, and it was um, again. I was there in response to. I had already been working with one of his clients who I'd read his recommendation in his stuff, who was also another PhD, Columbia University doctor, you know, professor. And I'm like, well, geez, these are people that have a lot of credibility. And she said, after working with her a couple of months, she's like, you know, I think you should probably talk to my friend John. And she told me about her own healing experience of, um, bleeding literally having cervical bleeding coming out while she's on the table with her doctor and she calls up john and he was able with his gift to help the bleeding stop in the presence of this other doctor and i'm like well i gotta go see who this dude is <laughs> that's pretty crazy <laughs> so i went i got to work with him and we had our sit-down meeting and he explained something that's called morphology, which is about um, typing and reading of uh, face and your archetype of self. Right. And then he explained like to me, like some of, because of that, how dietary choices were affecting my mental state. Cause I was vegetarian. He's just like, you know, for your typing, it's not the best thing. It's just like, and he said, he encouraged me to try meat again. And I was like, okay. And then he said, you know, um, well, he said, this is how I work, you know, and then I usually pray over people and all you have to do is, you know, look at me in the right here in the forehead. And I was just sitting there, eyes open. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm open. And I, my eyes were entirely open. I wasn't in a trance state. I hadn't been meditating or anything. I didn't take anything. And literally the, the face of Christ was there over his face and his the eyes turned this radiant light kind of brown blue intensity and my heart melted in a way i had never felt of what i now call unconditional love and i've thought in my mind holy shit this is real <laughs> and and i've just felt such a shift of myself that after that moment he said well go look in the mirror and so i went to the restroom and i took a look at the mirror and I saw myself in three dimensions for the first time in years, and I didn't know that I hadn't been seen with my own eyes um, in a three-dimensional way. I was seeing stuff mainly in a two-dimensional way because I had a concussion when I was 18, and it never, um, I guess I didn't, you know, it was never fully healed, and it was part of whatever the trauma, the head trauma that was affecting, you know, my mental state as well. And so 
I was seeing like, I was like, oh my God, the glass has like texture and the water, I can see the depth. And it wasn't, I don't know if it was literally, I wasn't seeing three dimensionally or just that the, um, there was just more uh, life to everything I was looking at. So it was a very direct uh, sense experience of spirit, of life, and one of the most pleasurable or uh, just, uh, that's why my, I, I hear my speech, you know, pausing because it's like, it's something I have tried many ways to give voice to, and all I can do is be as authentic as I can and still know that it doesn't quite capture that it was just very personal and very direct. And I was really surprised that it's like, I'm seeing the face of Jesus. I know it can't just be Jesus. I don't under, really understand. And that I was just like, and then as soon as I said that, holy shit, it's real. I'm like, oh shit, I swore. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so here's, here's the question. Similarities, the similarities between, sorry, Anthony, uh, the similarities yeah. between um, your awakening, Anthony, that, that you've explained and in his, uh, 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 it's palpable, it, it, the, the explosion of the heart and stuff like that, um, and the difficulty of putting it into words, just because of how amazing it is. Um, it, it's something, just to take a second to, to, to recognize that, that the, the, our language is, is highly limited when it comes, especially English, highly limited in, in explaining these, these uh, ethereal emotions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well said. What Justin was alluding to, I, I've often told the story when um, I think uh, Krishna was with me. We were in India. We were with our, our teacher at the time, mm -hmm. and, and we would meditate with him every day. And then we would go off and do our stuff and meditate with him every day. And he would do darshan, meaning the transmission of energy, right? And it was one day when um, I'm just sitting there, just and, and it feels like you're looking at the sun almost. There's so much energy coming at you. And then all of a sudden, the mind went away. Like all that chatter was gone. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And as soon as that chatter was gone, the heart opens up, right? And then you feel this incredible joy and bliss. And it's hard to put into words because it's so overwhelming. I remember thinking, I didn't know that humans could feel at this level, right? And right. when the, your heart expands, you're, you're in a place of knowing. Like there's no thinking. You're just in the place of knowing. And you realize that all those things you worry about on a daily basis is so meaningless, like trivial, like, it, it, completely meaningless, right? And you realize the only thing really important is that love and connecting back to that love, right? And mm -hmm. I also realized that in that moment, faith was a total absence of the mind because with, with the mind gone, and the heart open, I knew that whatever I thought or wanted would just materialize. I had 100% mm -hmm. faith, right? And it's not even faith, it's a knowing. You're in that, you're in that zone of knowing, right? But mm -hmm. what, I, what I was going to ask you is, um, and I've had a couple of experiences like that in my life, but what's eluded me is the ability to get back into that state at will, right? Or, or, in, mm -hmm. or in any regular <clears throat> fashion. Have, yeah. have you been able to do that? Uh, it's an interesting question and, and uh, I guess a, a, a similar challenge. And yeah. I remember my, again, my, my friend John saying, well, you are, because of your, your typing, you're attracted to uh, sensory 
experiences. And the, it was so super sensory that it was just like, of course I want that again. And I would love to walk in the world. Like he said to me, is like after that, he was just like, okay, don't talk about it for seven to 10 days. Don't tell anyone what your experience was. Just take it, let it be. Right. And of course, once you have that knowing, and I always say it's a knowing with a capital K yes. versus the little, the little K, that it, it's something that you recognize as your essence, as like, okay, all of us are made up of that being inside of us. It's all there. It's that it's within all of us, whether it's centered in the actual, you know, heart chakra or whether it's centered in our whichever level of uh, body, you know, subtle body, let's say you want to exist on. Right. I have uh, found it in other experiences. Again, um, I have done a bunch of practices to hopefully kind of like, well, maybe this time it'll stick <laughs> and I can, you know, because <laughs> I was like, you know, those are the books that are always the best water. Where it's like, oh man, that guy's walking around all the time like that. And of course he's going to magnetize just like, you know, all the, all that love and good. And I'm like, I'm still working through the dirtier parts, I guess. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, that's, what's been interesting about, I guess, as I said, the path, I'm sure you've talked with enough people that the path is going to give you what you need. Right. And, um, it's, um, I haven't found the thing that necessarily sustains it, but again, going back to that subtle, I do have more times when I can recognize it more quickly. That is like, oh, here's here's one of those moments. Slow down, absorb it, enjoy it. You know, enjoy it because it's like because it's like, man, they're you know, they're still you know, few and far between between the utopia I imagine. <laughs> I fully relate to that. I fully relate to that. So there was something you said early on that really caught my attention, and uh, I like to bring it up and maybe have you talk me through getting off the ledge. Let me explain what that means. You said that uh, I forget. Uh, let me preface. You said that uh, you had to make the shift where you um, do something meaningful, which in this case was create this co uh, conscious content, right? And it seemed like you were saying that if you didn't make that shift, like some, like you would die, literally die, right? Like you, your soul was aching for something meaningful. It was, is that an accurate assessment? Um, for me, it was the literal having a life-threatening moment. I was spending a Christmas vacation um, alone, meeting new people in Jamaica, and I got attacked in my room by this uh, huge uh, rugby dude who thought I had uh, assaulted his wife. And it was, and they were totally drugged out. And it was like smashed bottles, and you know this monster of a guy. And I, it's like seven thirty in the morning, and it was one of the more surreal moments. I rarely. Thankfully, I guess have been in life or death where it felt like it's like I'm going to get killed here. And there wasn't any what was weird. I mean, the whole thing was weird because I had been singing 
Christmas carols with the hostile owner the night before. Like I had this beautiful like Christmas moment in the new culture until like midnight. And we were just drinking a little wine and singing and just like being just like it was nice. And it was with the owner and in the lobby. And this is, I guess, when all this supposedly had happened in their mind. But it was such a shock to me. And my response was so, I went to like primal brain. Like I was outside in seconds and I found a stick I had seen previously that had a big, huge nail through it. And I had a club in my hand, literally, and I was waiting for the guy to come out because I was going to bash his skull in. And I was like, and all of a sudden I was just like, I saw my primal nature at its rawest form or my most limbic brain right the reptilian was living and live and my body was just shaking and it was you know hour and a half of this and then as it eventually led to bringing the police in and questioning and them trying to get the word out and i had this total confidence and moment of that at that after a few hours that i was like i'm okay nothing really happened and I can shift these circumstances to when the chief of police or whatever comes and says, well, what is it that you want? And I said, you know what? I just wanted to scare the crap out of them and let them, let them be as concerned as I was, but it's like, I'm not going to press charges. You know, I just don't want, I don't want them here. And that was, and I was just like, boom, I'm letting this go. But it was, in those moments, those hours that I was, you know, recognizing my own duality, more, that more I was time. like, pardon? Recognize your own mortality. Yes, my own mortality and my own like, oh, I'm not as advanced as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your face. <laughs> there, there's a question there, there for you. Is it... Is it not being advanced to 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 have a um, to defend yourself? I guess um, is that is that something that um, shouldn't be promoted if somebody is 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 acting a violence towards you? Yeah, you know, I just you know all I could think of during that time was the Cain and Abel, you know, story and and seeing these this part of myself and I also have a younger brother and we used to get in fights all the time but I was and we're very different we're kind of goofus and gallant in our ways of approaching the world and I hadn't experienced that in myself because in that moment I didn't know if he was going to come out again and attack me so there was a defense element um, but it was like I could have probably walked down the same mountain road that I had done five times that week and just, you know, let it go. It's okay. You're okay. And, and, and part of me, but the other part of me, it, I wanted to attack him. So did you, did you feel like Cain in that, in that particular situation? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> See, I, I don't know if that, I, I've read Cain, the Cain and Abel, so it's only like paragraph long, like probably 20 times now, just because there's a lot of, Good stuff in that just that little paragraph, but um, I, I don't because Kane was, was so jealous. <laughs> you didn't sound jealous. You sounded like you were defending yourself. Um, yeah, thank you. I was. I felt. 
I mean, I saw my ego at play because it's like I felt like I had been so wronged because I'm like, here I am, some interfaith minister doing basically a week sabbatical alone, you know, just like I'm writing, I'm going to the beach, I'm checking out little sites around. I'd never been there before. And I'm like, I'm doing something peaceful and good. And I'm in the vibe of Jamaica and trying to understand, like, what is this about? Because it's very much it has that potential and there I was on the opposite side of it entirely and just seeing that it, it gave me this reflection of well what am, what am I doing both as a person and in with my life and it's like and who am I to tell anybody how to freaking watch whatever movie they're watching or tv show you know unless I you know have my own understanding of where I'm at so it's a uh, it was a very, it, it made me aware of the conflict of human nature. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like, it's not, you're not one thing or the other. You are all of these things at once. And I was glad to see, I guess, in retrospect, that part of me. But the other part of me wants that open heart, magnetic, you know, charismatic, just loving dude who, you know, yeah. Life, life's good. Life's good. Is it that dude that gets supermodel? Is it what? <laughs> is it that dude that gets the supermodel? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. At least it, at, on Instagram, it looks that way. <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't think... I, uh, oh, oh, I, I guess... To me, to me, you sound and and just going back to the Cain and Abel story again. I to me, it just sounded like you you were the Abel because you were the one you were the interfaith minister. You were the one um, living life to to its fullest, and it sounded like the other person was quite jealous of that. So that's why he's attacking you. And um, and the only reason why you you weren't exactly Abel was because you survived. But had had he killed you, you would have definitely been um, the Abel of that of that battle. Oh, oh, I haven't thought about that. Thank you. You don't have to. Yeah. I can switch my story. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no yeah, I don't have to go. I don't have to ever do therapy again. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so, what impact? I'm still trying to understand what impact did that did that uh, situation have on you exactly? Is, is that when you decided to leave New York and move to LA? And that was yeah. That was a very decisive moment. Um, I, I was working in for. Um, two philanthropists at the time who were had their own um, marriage uh, counseling program that had, you know, they had been on Oprah 13 times and they had seven books and they were doing good in their, in the world. And they were, you know, very conscious of how they were using their monies that had been inherited Um to really affect a lot of people. And they were trying to create this, you know, revolution of uh, the heart and consciousness. And they had been at it. And I was there as like a, their communications director and trying to actually help them create this revolution. And, but I realized that that was their, that was their journey. Right. And I was like, here I am still working for other people trying to spread a message that's not really my message. I better f figure out what my message is. And that brought me back to, well, I already had my 
you know, higher mass media, you know, the concept. I already had my hit of what it could look like and different ways of expressing it. I'd already talked to a number of producers and directors and, I'd, and I'm like, I'm not doing anything about it. Mm. So that was, uh, I was like, I have to, I have to shift something. And I think like I had wrote in your questions, you know, is this like this burning and buffing has just been a theme of like, I know that it's like, it's not going to happen on its own. You, you can stay on whatever path you're on. And it's like, if it's satisfying enough of your stuff, you'll probably stay on it. Cause it, it, it's not easy. It's a little, it's painful to disrupt everything. Yes. You know? And so it's like, but I keep going, well, I'd rather disrupt stuff again. And no matter, even though it's like, well, I'm in my, you know, I, I'm in my mid forties. I'm not, you know, a young spring chicken. I'm not 20 something. I don't have a bunch of safety nets. I don't have the stuff that you're supposed to have. I've read these stories, you know, I both <laughs> going, Oh, but at the same time to your, you know, question, it was a, it was a mixture of both a soul life or death of like, well, what makes your soul breathe? Right. And a literal, I'm still breathing, <laughs> you know? Wow, that's powerful. And, and the reason I started this line of questioning at the beginning was I'm, and Justin knows, I'm, I'm kind of like at that crossroads now where my, my soul is yearning for something different, more of what we're having right here, this kind of communication, right? Mm-hmm. We, we had talked before where, uh, where like the things that um, increase your vibration, like meditation, uh, the obvious things, right? But I think having conversations where you're where you're open and you and you delve into and look at and talk about like reality and how how everything really fits together and your place and your experiences with other people to me that that's as important to elevate your soul and vibration as meditation as anything else right mm-hmm. um, and it, I get so much joy out of that. So part of me is thinking work should be like that, right? Work should mm-hmm, be right. of that. Right. But, but then obviously I'm torn by the money side because what I do is I, I know it, I do it, I do it pretty well, and the money's really good, right? But mm-hmm. slowly, day by day, you die just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And you're holding back the heart. So I'm trying to make that transition with with as much power and decisiveness as I can, and I'm finding it a little bit challenging. So, Paul, I'm looking to you to kind of coach me through this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you start with discussion, you know, because, <laughs> I, I mean, that is uh, the transference of energy with people is obviously a real thing, and it can, it can be through you know, dialogue and the verbal way, you know, and mantras are a great way of understanding the power of, you know, the sound. Um, There's also, you know, the, the different heart meditations that you do that can be, you know, vibratory way of increasing your own heart and resonance in your world that you're attracting your own resonance of this is my heart frequency. Um, And there's so many different, I would say, paths that help you know what your own vibration is um sometimes it seems that you know the the world will provide you the uh amount of vibration you can take at that time (laughs) whether you whether you think you can take it or not right and it doesn't mean that there won't be you know the reset 
And that's at the same time, there's plenty of people that, you know, when they take whatever their leap of faith is, that it's like, it goes smoothly. And things are, it doesn't have to be dramatic and, oh man, I'm living on a freaking bench now where I'm doing, you know, these extreme stories. It can be, you know, sailing with and capturing the right wind and sailing into the right port and going, oh yeah. And it's like, and I've talked to people at both ends and I, I always come back to, well, I guess this is what my stupid soul needs, you know, it, it's, it hurts, but I, I, um, you know, I guess recently had more of a flux of accepting that reality of, of not knowing as being a reality more so than a nice idea or a concept. Uh, another of my mentors who passed away, the column seal founder, you know, he, he would describe things as, you know, leaping, leaping off a mountain without a bungee cord. And, and I would ask him, I was like, well, well, wait, what's going to catch, catch you? It's like, what happens when you, he's like, no, you just keep falling. <laughs> he's just like, you just keep, you just keep going in the fall. It's like, there isn't anything else at the other end of it. It is just accepting the fall. And I was like, well, that's, and my friend John had said a similar uh, thing about, and given, he'd work a lot with uh, visualizations, healing visualizations. And it was a very similar thing of the more you can accept the fall and the not knowing, and that, you know, the way things you think they are may not be. It's just like every time I keep coming back to those, as much as I want to resist it, as much as I want to resist that truth, I just keep coming back to it. And I, at least in the last you know couple of months, I can say, okay, if I'm trying to change things in my life, I'm going to take responsibility that I'm the one who wants that. My soul is the one that wants that. I need it. It doesn't matter that everybody else um, may or may not agree, may or may not be comfortable, because those are where the lessons are in how I deal with the life circumstances around me, but it's like, well, if I'm being honest about where my vibration is, it will either, if I'm doing it from the right place, it will resonate in a positive way. If I'm doing it from an ego place, it usually will create more, you know, for me at least, I, I, I create more conflict than I ever imagined. <laughs> I was like, holy man, I am, I am full of conflict. And uh, as much as heart opening, it's like my girlfriend is a very heart person. It's like she, she just wants love and she wants to resonate from that spot. But when we butt heads, boy, do we butt heads. <laughs> so I realized just like, you know, it's that opportunity of being with a partner too that I've, I've learned so much about what this heart resonance mean? Cause that's yeah. like you said before, that's the space I know and want to come from and know it with a capital K and it makes me still and it makes me slow down right. and it makes me go, okay, I do know this. It's not unfamiliar. And that's kind of all those lessons always come back to when you're in your heart, it's simple. Yeah. You know, it's not complicated. There isn't conflict. And that's the, so that's the only part of uh, any lesson that you already know, you know, you already know kind of the, uh, the payoff sense of it, 
you know, of where you, where you know is a truth and a reality. And it's like, well, how, how many of those things can you create in a day for yourself? Cause it's like, it benefits everybody. And that's, you know, the most direct thing I have learned is like, Oh wow. My, my behavior and my responses really do affect everybody. It's not just me. It's not just my own world I'm in. It's it's like it's going to be reflected right back at you if you're, you know, aware. If you're if you recognize people as a mirror for you, you know, and they're there to serve your highest good, regardless of what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, so, fully, I fully agree with everything, and, and I actually got a lot of, out of what you said. Um, the, you know, the, the fact you just keep falling and be okay with it and uncertain. And, and I think the reason, like, those are simple sentences, right? But uh, mm-hmm. oh, two weeks ago, I started, I, I went on the seven-day course where I got into getting up at 4 o'clock and meditating, like, two hours every morning, right? And that completely, mm-hmm. completely shifted me in the last um last two weeks and all we and all i do really is go in and and feel my heart and feel the heart expand and then feel yourself kind of dissolve into the into the unified field right which is mm-hmm. just just darkness but it's filled with frequencies right and and that's that's what creates this reality this reality is an illusion that's the real reality even though you can't perceive with your regular senses in there right and that's basically all i do just dissolve into the the unified field and over time it's built up such um happiness in me because i can feel mm. my heart all the time right and mm-hmm. and even when i go into the corporate world i, I it kind of shuts down a little bit sometimes it shuts down a lot right but usually mm-hmm. it's open and, and and so when you say you just go with it that that's what i try to do every day like the equivalent of when I'm in the corporate world, going with the heart, it's the equivalent of me falling and just falling and falling and seeing where it went, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and today was an interesting experience. In the back of my mind, like I, I lead projects, right? So in the back of my mind, I still think, you know, if things go wrong, you, you know, you got to lay down the law. You got to fucking tell people in a very stern way, like what needs to be done, that they're fucking up, so on and so on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Anthony, you, you, did that, you did that for me today. You were like, like, no, you're still going to be on the podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. It's serious. coming through, right? <laughs> so I think that today with like, the developers, and like I was late, so I had a separate meeting. It was a conference call. And I forgot to put in the bridge in the meeting invite, right? So I'm trying to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, getting all fucking pissed off and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say and how direct I'm going to be and how I want to, you know, like scare them a little bit, right? Scare them into mm-hmm. And then the whole fucking computer goes off, right? And nothing's working. The email isn't working. Nothing's fucking working. And it's at that time where everyone's supposed to be on the bridge and I can't get on the bridge, right? I'm getting texts on my phone going, where the fuck are you? Blah, 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 right? So that I just calm myself down, go back in the heart and said, okay, obviously that strategy doesn't work. (laughs) 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 Let me me go with a more heart-based approach, right? And as soon as that happened, it was like, okay, everything was fucking cool from that point on. Mm. So all I'm saying is I think once you go down this road and and you really focus on the heart and feel the heart, it does not allow you to be stupid anymore, right? Yeah. 
yeah, I, I, I think that responsibility, you know, it just becomes, uh, cause like, you know, better, yes. you know, and it, it, it hits you harder if you don't. And it seems, at least that's my experience too. It's like, yeah, you'll, the slap across the face gets a little more of a sting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how quickly can you recover? <laughs> it's that bitch slap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That loving, loving bitch slap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, love it. <laughs> so, uh, to tell us about uh, Column Seal, the megalithic park, because I know it's important to, actually, that, that's an important topic, but before we go there, um, one that's more, one that's really close to my heart is mass media impact on consciousness. I, I know, mm -hmm. given the fact you're doing um, the conscious content, and given the fact that what's happening in the world with like the major news networks kind of lying all the time, and, mm -hmm. and the fact that no matter what you think of Trump, some of the things he says is actually true. So there is a lot of fake news um, out there. So, mm -hmm. what kind of impact does, does the mass media have on our consciousness? on your consciousness, on anyone's consciousness. You know, I just, I went to a talk last week where it's a, um, she's a professor on this and she actually works with um, major media companies on their branding about what they are projecting. And she talks about the neurological effect. Um, and it was interesting. interesting perspective. And it was like, it was just an hour long and unfortunately I don't recall her name. Um, but she would, talk about and or a lot of the conversation i guess was around the immediacy of fear working on our neurological system much more quickly than things that are on a subconscious let's say higher vibrational level mm -hmm. and it what i took from it was you know the uh and it's similar to what the marriage counselor people I was working is like, you know, from a place of fear, you're working in your limbic in reptile brain. And when you're working in your consciousness, you're working in the frontal precortex. And it's like, you can flip that at any time with any dialogue. So it's like, if there's a bunch of conflict around you, you know, it's like, you can, like you said, it's like, you can drop into your heart. And so we know that there's a lot of resonance, um, and structure between the heart and the brain and the stomach of course but it's like if you are aware of when you're in you know the the lower part of our evolution and when you're in the newer part of our evolution as a species you have an opportunity to shift things at any time mass media primarily works on base emotions especially news and that was what i wanted to see like again to the earlier point is like how do you flip this dynamic because again it's the difference between um survival response mm -hmm. mechanism that we have and where we are where we're evolving as in a higher vibrational level as an entire species and so until, again, for the amount of content we absorb, until there's more of an opportunity to view stuff that works on a more subconscious, subtle level, that does show more positive images, that's not trying to trigger the fear response. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of theories about 
which beings are involved in helping trigger that fear response and why it has the energy it does and how that also is utilized. I mean, it's currently utilized a lot in, you know, monetarily. It's like the, uh, the FOMO, you know, as being such a direct constant for anybody who's marketing anything, you know, fear of missing out on anything is a constant trigger for most social media. You know, it's like, oh, they have a better trip, though. They have a better clothes. Oh, they have a better whatever. And it's constantly being pushed. So it's like we've all become marketers. We, everybody's become a marketer of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, here's my lifestyle. I'm going to market it to you for these other people. And then you're going to want the Kardashian lipstick, you know. And, <laughs> you know you, and then you can have your $800 million cosmetic company because it's like, you know, I'm going to promote, promote the personality of me doesn't have much to do about the collective personality that we're working in or the collective understanding or a collective consciousness. You know, it's like we all know that nature works in, in cooperation, actually. It doesn't work by survival of the fittest. You know, this is a, that part of Darwin that was always, you know, kind of shuffled aside. That, that's, his end point was not that it's survival of the fittest. He, he did write about how the cooperative elements work together to make things work. And we're understanding this, you know, through technology of like the internet too. We see how cooperation can actually build things, but we're using it to go down a fear response. So I'm, I can't say I figured it out. I just want to be part of promoting and creating stuff that I guess is the opposite of that. And how to draw people to it is its own, you know, it's its own challenge of, because marketing, again, is about, it's usually appealing to a, a more obvious base right. <laughs> emotion. It's not, it's not appealing to, hey, I want to evolve tonight for half an hour. <laughs> it's harder to sell that to a beer company. <laughs> it's harder to sell the idea of awakening when most people don't understand what that is, right? Like we were saying before, you can't describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because, again, I think I'm always encouraged or like media that encourages um, to experience something new or something different. And our current, and we were just talking about this today, the current response for those kind of actions is to take the action of buying something that you saw related to it. It's like most con- most stuff is branded content now. It's all about branding somebody or something. And our response out of a show or a thing is to purchase. Because it's like, well, there's something I can do. And it's not a conscious thought of I'm going to go watch a show that I go buy something, most unless you're on a shopping channel. But it's like in that same, again, flip of that, you have the opportunity to, hey, you know what? I'm going to call the person that I love. Or, hey, you know what? I'm actually going to go to that park, a park that's nearby and see what I can find. Or there are positive messagings you can do in a direct way. And, you know, that, again, is my own influence of how I think entertainment or educational entertainment can work is that it inspires you to do something more. And if it's a take action thing directly in politics, or if it's a, you know, I want to go, you know, canoe and clean up the river or something like that. Great. It doesn't have to be that grand. It can just be something like, you know what, I'm going to go 
sit outside in my garden for five minutes and not do anything except look at the flowers and see what bugs are there. Cause like, wow, what would that do if everybody was doing five minutes of that? Yeah. Or, uh, or 10 people were doing, I have to close the door. Excuse me. Hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, that people are definitely starved, uh, um, this lack of meaning. And I think they're also starved of the nuance, uh, because the, when it comes to the media, everything's either good or bad. There's no in between, there's no, uh, gray area. And, um, I know that you guys were talking before the, before I got on, right when I, I first heard that, that they're, um, with the media editing everything down to these tiny little sound bites, you actually, you can't get anything out of that. It doesn't matter how much you hate a person. If they're going to cut out every good thing that they say and, and, and take out a, a 30 second snippet out of an hour long conversation, it's like, this is totally useless. Uh, unless you're basing your entire life on an ideology and that person's against you. And then, then it feels mm -hmm. like for 30, 30 seconds. And it's, um, so I, I definitely feel like there's people starved for that, and Jordan, people like Jordan Peterson and uh, Sam Harris and people like that um, are showing that, that there's, when you just do these long-form, unedited uh, pieces of content, people will sit there and listen, um, maybe not listen intently, but um, they, they're listening. Right? Millions upon millions of, of people are, are mm -hmm. following <clears throat> And listening daily, and um, I definitely think that there's a, a market there. Um, and I think it's solely because the people are just looking for meaning, and um, and if you can give them that, that meaning and, and, and to have them find something within them, and and like you said, it's like it could be just be sitting out uh, in, in a in a field and looking at the bugs for a few minutes. That could get somebody off, and then it's like maybe there's something else for somebody else where, where they just need to have intellectual conversation or listen to people who are having conversations mm -hmm. things. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty much talking myself into a corner right now, so I need to find somebody else. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. That's, you know, it's, again, it, it kind of goes back to the earlier discussion we were having about, you know, recognizing your own residence, you know, what works for you. Yeah. And there's something about, there is a collective resonance, I believe, of our, you know, reptilian nature as well. Yeah. And mass media knows how to work on that extremely well. It is designed around that. You know, it's like, you know, our mass media developed out of propaganda. So it's like we, all the triggers are known how to make that part work so that people either come back or keep watching or whatever it is. It's not usually designed to, you know, I'm going to, you know, go buy flowers now and, or <laughs> for somebody and, you know, and tell them I love them and, you know, and this. I mean, that's what made Bob Ross so successful. It's like, that was what he did. He just went up there, went up and for an entire season, you, you painted with this guy. Like, mm -hmm. that content is magic. Mm -hmm. And it holds up today. You can watch Bob Ross do that now. And it's like, this is amazing. So I, I really think you're onto something here. Um, and, and I'm telling you, there are people that are starved for this stuff. It, 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 you just have to hit the right resonance. Well, we, he, he's come up quite frequently the last couple of months because it's like he also, this is the 70s guy, right? Painter. Right? 70s, 80s. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. He, he had a paint company. And that's where he made all his money by selling paint. And it's like, it wasn't a direct part of what was on PBS that he was selling 
that he had this paint company, but that's where he made all his money. So it's just always about, you know, here's the painting, here's the painting. But it's like, he made millions of dollars selling paint. <laughs> 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 so um, let, let's talk about uh, Common Style Park now. Okay. I'd be, I'd be, you know, these megalithic parts of parks are, are, are places are always, the ancient ones are always like so fascinating to me, right? Like who built them? How did they get built? I get a million questions. Like having been through some of the major sites in Egypt, it, I'm just overwhelmed with the engineering and construction uh, piles it took to build these places. The idea that these places exist now, that people built them in the recent, you know, in the recent time, yeah. blows my mind away. So like you knew this guy who built this, right? Like did he tell yeah. you how he built it? And how yeah. big are the stones here? Did he do it? Um, well, some of like he has a, I think it's called a, a triptych, and it's three stones, um, and it's the Thor's Gate is what the name was. And that one, it's like just on top had a hundred, a hundred ton stone on top. Um, and then it had two pieces that were underneath it. Now, so he would get them all from, this is in um, the eastern part of Pennsylvania in the Poconos area. Right. And I think it's Blue Mountain. And it's actually on the Appalachian Trail. And there was a quarry nearby. So the uniqueness of the rock around that area was that this was some of the earliest um, Earth's crust, as he describes it. This was, it had turned over because of the Wisconsin Glacier Line, which goes from Wisconsin out to Long Island. Um, it literally turned over the bottom to the top. Now, I grew up in a similar part of Wisconsin that actually this was also visible in a park that my mom helped found um, called Ledgeview. And it has, you know, it's like you're looking at it and you're looking at, you know, 300 million year old uh, shells and things and you're like it's it's right there it's in your face and it was had been a quarry you know they were just mining it for the lime and things of that sort but as I um, as I started experiencing the resonance of this land and what he Bill Cohe the creator of it what he had been working on for 40 plus years um, I grew to have this new appreciation of stones. And one of the things that's fascinating that he had told me was that, like, I think it's every 300 years, megaliths show up around the world. So it's mean? like it's a recurring cycle of people start standing stones up on their end for some crazy reason. <laughs> <laughs> And whether it's the understanding on an actual level of the power of using that kind of stone energy as a, a machine um, for creating whatever conduits of energy from the universe and drawing it into the earth and vice versa, if it is that conscious or if it's, you know, to create graves or if it is, it's, there's something elemental almost and it seems in human nature that these keep happening so i'm actually going to one in wisconsin it's in western wisconsin it's called kinstone and this woman in part was inspired by bill's work at column seal and 
she started her own megalith park on her family's original land. And I'm going to do my first visit. And she made a, she's developed it into a permaculture center as well. But there's an, um, there's a, there is a, an appreciation and power in watching something that's ancient and still. And there's a life there that I wouldn't, you know, have necessarily known unless I guess I kept doing my own work to get quiet. But part of the work of what Bill created and why was that the land was a healing land for people and they would bring people that had were going through rehab and they would bring people would come from around the world um, because they happened to hear about it they didn't really do much marketing and advertising about the place it wasn't designed to be you know come and have playtime with the rocks mm-hmm. it's a truly sacred site and but it's done with you know dolmens and these triptychs and you know there's one mananin it's called and it's you know 20 feet high and it's at least 15 feet in the ground as well and it's this huge powerful ancient rock and it's like if you spend enough time you swear you start seeing faces in the rock and you're like you're not sure (laughs) but (laughs) and again it's not taking anything so we you know my partner sarah and i we just created a short little film um in honoring of bill that just, you know, through photography and some videography and one of his poems tries to capture this essence of stillness in an appreciation of, you know, unless you're looking at it and spending some time, you don't know it's there. It's very easy to dismiss a rock, yeah. you know, so and it's very hard to try to capture it on film and try to make it interesting. So we threw in, you know, her brother's uh, one of his more rock songs. <laughs> rock meaning the style of music. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely made me laugh out loud because it was uh, because the first thing that you said, it you know, it, it's hard to kind of uh, paraphrasing, but um, get a feel for a rock. You know, I, yes. I, I, I've experienced uh, megaliths uh, in particular in, in, in England and stuff, and, um, and mm-hmm. I've never had any problem with that. I, I you, you can feel it there. Like, I, I, I've never been to Wisconsin, but I like, pick up on that. But then when you said uh, it, you, can't capture, you can't capture that feeling with a camera, it's a little bit... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just just filming, a, filming a rock, yeah. I can <laughs> It's a challenge. So it ended up being what, what our original idea was a long version, but someone did that. And, you know, three and a half minutes, we figure, ah, oh, yeah, you know, that's, a- <laughs> that's enough rock. <laughs> you got your message across. <laughs> yeah, but it, Bill was a very special person, and he had went through his own um, awakenings multiple times, and he tried to capture his in uh, – poetry and try to convey this ephemeral state of being and he was a very committed person to living it and he always let the he he was questioned various times about you know he had this kind of opportunity to be the guru type and he 
stepped very far away from that. He did not want it to be about him. He wanted it to be about something much more powerful and ancient than he could ever be. But he let those, um, as he calls them, archetypal energies that inhabited the rocks take residence on this land. And he said it's actually, these are some of the same energies that had been on the Isle of Iona, where one of the earliest uh, Christian monastic groups existed um, in the fourth century, I want to say. And that his number of visits there, they came to, they came all the way over to inhabit the rocks there. So whatever shift is, uh, what is it? Who's the uh, Melchizedek? Who's the guy who does the earth healings? Dronvalo Melchizedek? Yes. Yeah. He talks about, you know, how they, the uh, the serpent energy, if you will, has shifted throughout different spots, and it's currently shifted. And I think maybe it's this is part of that same line, just by how the land has spoken to so many people. I think they get like you know they get nine thousand people there, you know, just because people find it in Facebook, and they're often from around the world, and you know, it's a really just unique, special place that. You know, one person took it on themselves and with donations and bulldozers, (laughs) you know, started doing this. And it was, uh, it's just a fascinating place of, you know, well, what can you, what can you do? What can you do on a larger level that might have resonance for a greater number? And his was to get people out of their houses and commune with the land and understand what we're walking on, you know, on a very basic, basic, basic level. That, that, that is so critical. Most people don't realize that. I, I've, I've done a lot of reading on Heart Math Institute. Uh, they've done a lot of studies in regards to heart coherence, the heart and the mind being coherent is when you're, you're mm-hmm. in, a, in a deep state of intuition, knowing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they've, they've determined that that coherence is the strongest when you have a frequency going through you that's uh, as close as possible to the showman frequency, which is the vibration that the earth vibrates at, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that alone, that is why like walking on the earth is so important. You, you align yourself with the vibration of the earth, right? And I mm-hmm. think what he was trying to do was, was that in a, in, in a very powerful, maybe magnified manner. Now that that's what it feels like. Connected yeah, connected I, I think it was actually t- Todd was the one who said it's like he was talking about that. He's like these are machines, and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, oh, now this makes more sense. I now there there might have been more going on, but Bill didn't really. He wouldn't talk so much about that stuff. He was he had been a very much a social activist, and he had worked with everything from the you know displaced. Um, coal miners of Pennsylvania to inner city, you know, launching an inner city school in Chicago to working in directly with uh, the um, presidential or administration around Ford's office at the time. And he had been very, he had worked in a lot of influential circles and left it all because he said, you know, they're going to, he, as he told me, it's just like, ah, they'll, they'll screw it up anyway. <laughs> and they'll want to destroy it no matter what you make. So he, I guess, made something more permanent 
in a way with Stone because he, he always joked. He's like, yeah, people will see this in a thousand years and go like, who were these people that created this? And how did they do this? And <laughs> That's right. Uh, what so he had a sense of humor. That, that's critical. I, I think that's one of the critical components for the spiritual path, right? Because if you take yourself too seriously, there's a good chance you'll go fucking insane, right? Humor, yeah. kind of, humor kind of lubricates the rough patches. Yes. Yeah, it's, I, I agree fully. It's a critical thing. And I, yeah. I find myself all too often getting you know, serious about whatever it is. And it's like, oh, that doesn't feel good. It never <laughs> yeah. feels good. I always blame it on being German. But I <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They've been known to have that trait. <laughs> yes, yes. It's genetic. I blame it on genetics. <laughs> so where do we get, like, um, where, where can we get, like, some of your content? Where, where can we see it? Um, you know, that's... Having having moved out to LA like three and a half years ago, I because I had worked as an actor uh, back in the '90s in Chicago, and I ended up helping run a couple of theater companies, and then I moved to New York and did acting, tried acting world again, and was doing touring educational theater, and then I left that, and and so I moved again. Part of this uh, shifting was to build my own world and kind of content. So I have been spending a lot of our times, my partner and I, we do some creating of content, but a lot of what we're doing is developing content. Right. So we work with a number of writers and we're developing a number of scripts. And there's, you know, there's one that I really like, which is, it's kind of like uh, the, the feeling of cheers, except it's with angels. And it's like you base, the people get, you know, one, 24 hour period to relive their last day, but they know they're going to leave They They have the angels present for it, but they get to do whatever they want. They get one day to relive. So it's kind of 24, but it has this, it's a much, it's a beautiful sense of the things that matter. And it, it's like, that's one script that we're working on developing into a TV series. There's another one that's more in the uh, thriller horror genre. That's kind of an interfaith supernatural a campground world where they're there for a research study on their super natural abilities of this grouping of people. It's like, you know, there's somebody who's Islamic, there's somebody who's a witch, there's somebody who's a fundamentalist Christian, and they're, they're together for this, uh, this weekend research thing and having different visions, but it's in a very recognizable genre that's still entertaining. And it's, um, has this, Again, potential to show like how people can both work together and how many things are similar in their belief systems. But in a again, it's you can't bash people over the head. You still have to meet them where they're at and give them content. Let's say that they can recognize of where they can jump in as regular viewers of something. So those are uh, those are two very close ones to my heart, but they're still in developmental stages. Um, the, you know, Column Seal film is on Facebook. You know, if you put in Column Seal film, you'll see our little tribute to Bill there. Um, that's just, and again, that's more of a, that was our nod to, you know, one of my dear mentors. And the 
We have another one that's called uh, Waterways, which is the one about this region of Wisconsin and the shift that is still editing. We have another reality show that we're finishing up the sound for that's called Beer Farmer. <laughs> and, it, and it's, it's again, it's a regional sense of kind of a, a type of man that isn't around much anymore, who's this kind of renaissance man who can, he, he fixes trucks, he is the president of the Chamber of Commerce, he runs the family business that was, that was a micro brewery that he harvests his own hops and his own honey, he's a chef, he's a football coach, he's one of these guys that's like, he does everything, and he's a big guffaw hunting Wisconsin dude, but he has this wonderful sense of humor and a bit raw. Um, but it reflects, I think, again, in that sense of reflecting heart and reflecting, hey, there are other ways of doing things. Because we, you know, media will often show rural in a disparaging way right. or in a too, too cute way, like, oh, nostalgic, pretty. But it's like, no, these things are real and they still exist. So that's our. Uh, our nod to the reality world, we call it reality 2.0 of trying to do something better, right. you know, with unscripted TV. So the, uh, the early stages of building uh, a production company are more multifaceted and challenging than I can ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's really exciting when you have all these different flavors of ways that can be expressed, you know, and doing it. So, do you feel like you're falling right now? Uh, every freaking day. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Whether, whether I want to or not. And, um, it's, uh, it's become a little more fun more recently to, Good. to walk it and, you know, jump in the pool and go like, okay, I'm going to take 20 minutes and just feel myself without gravity, <laughs> you know, and let water do that part for me. And, um, or hike in a mountain and connect with the earth in that way and feel the bounce and the pull of rocks. It's like, it's the little bits that I can do uh, just to feel what I think matters so that I can hopefully do better work in this, I guess, more conceptual zone of uh, making better media. So, so are you happier in LA than you were in New York? Cause we, we only met that one time in New York, right? Right. And uh, I think we were both drunk, so I don't remember too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of beer for fun yeah. and humor. It definitely, it's like, uh, I, again, I put it to genetics. You know, it's my German, my German nature. Um, I, I lighten up a lot more when I have a beer or a whiskey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it's, it's, but there it was like New York because of the intensity of New York. It was kind of, it became, it was more of a necessity in a way to have these quick releases of I too much. There's just too much of everything, too much people, too much pressure, too much subway time, too much out in LA, especially out here in the Valley. It's like, there's this, there's more space. There's more flowers. There's more green. It's like, you know, my girlfriend and her son is like, they brought a dog into our world that I wouldn't have necessarily chosen on my own because it's like, it creates more chaos than not. And I've learned to go like, oh, it's kind of fun, you know? <laughs> um, so there's the, as, as you know, it's like with any business, there's a lot of challenges. And, but they be, because it's 
me committing to my own resonance. Right. It's more of a personal, like, well, I, I keep choosing this, you know, every day I keep choosing to do it in one of the most challenging industries to, you know, for anyone to make an impact or succeed or get something funded or get their yeah. script made or any. And it's kind of like, well, if I'm, if I'm going to screw up, it's at least going to be my stuff I'm screwing up. And I'm really good at screwing up. I'm definitely <laughs> good at that. <laughs> we, we should compare notes on that. <laughs> it's, it sounds like such a, like, a, like to me, what, what you're doing sounds like such a fun adventure. Um, and, 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 and this is my challenge. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow, it must be hard making money at that, right? And that's what I always mm-hmm. go back to, like, you know, the money thing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it probably, you know, it's probably something that you think of, but you, you, I get the impression looking at you that you, you, you have a way to, like, calm that beast or quiet it. Is, is that an accurate assessment? Uh, no? Um, I wish, I wish it were. Um, I, I work on that constantly. Yeah. Um, it is, it is, you know, it's just like any, I, I sometimes do um, research and reporting for Inc. Magazine. So I'm always reading about all these successful entrepreneurs and what right. they go through. And I talk with them and I'm always, they're inspiring people. And, and then at the same time, you get a little bit more of the other side of the story than what's being printed. You know, it's like they're yeah. selling the success stories, you know, yeah. and not the 80% that do not. <laughs> so the, um, the realities of understanding what it is to, you know, develop a new muscle myself of being an entrepreneur instead of working for people is challenging. The learning, like even just, I still, you know, audition and do some acting and it's like the, the realities of percentage wise of knowing how unlikely it is that you'll get work. You know, it's like the, those, it's like, you can go percentage wise and know the realities and it's, you kind of have to just keep going. Well, Yes, and well, what else am I doing? And the coolest part of for me of that qualms some of the financial anxiety that's usually there has been the recognizing of how far we've come in such a short amount of time. Two people that you know hadn't seen each other for twenty five years have been in contact and saying, "Yes, I want to have an adventure and make stuff too," has been very cool to be able to do and because I can't I couldn't do it I kept trying to do it on my own and it just wasn't helping and I wanted to find someone that was willing to take the risk because it's it's a lot of risk kind of every single day so it's that falling part or being comfortable with uh, the financial realities it's like it's it's constant but I've kind of gone well I can and I, I it's like I can keep jumping back to the more structured, maybe normal, maybe a salary, maybe that. And then I see, wow, we've created this network and wow, we're talking with this producer now and he's done 300 films and wow, now we're talking to this guy and they've sold 20 scripts and wow, this guy's made, you know, 10, 20 million dollar feature. It's like, well, people do this. It's not like it's, and so the world becomes more real. Like, yeah. Huh. Well, they've done it, and I know them. And well, 
that means that I'm somewhere in that world now. I wasn't in that world. So it's, it's seen it unfold and, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm only, it, there's, you know, a bunch of shit being thrown at the wall at once. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that's not too well. <laughs> I, I usually call it spaghetti, but, but yeah, shit, shit works too. <laughs> spaghetti is probably, probably better, yes. It's a better More place. nutritious. <laughs> <laughs> only slightly. <laughs> but uh, um, okay, so we're logistically speaking right now. Um, I'm at I'm at two percent battery, so okay, um, I'm gonna have to jump up. I don't know if you guys are fine to talk, continue talking, but um, I'm gonna have to jump up. But um, more importantly, um, we didn't get to a topic that I wanted to talk to, which it would it, I'm kind of happy about because I want to ask you if you want to if you would like to do this again because I wanted to talk about uh, Christianity and God a little bit more mm. and, and pick your brain with that. I feel like that needs a whole hour and a half, uh, two hours on its own. I, I wouldn't want to just slap it onto the end of a, of a podcast. So if, you were, if you'd be interested in doing this again uh, next week or when you're free, um, so we can talk about more esoteric stuff and uh, Christianity. And- I, I'd love that because there's a, uh, I feel a huge wound um, around Christianity and its understandings. Yeah. And I think it, it comes from the denial of what is the mystic or the esoteric part of it it's been lost or purposely and i th- i think there's ways of healing healing that for a lot of us and i would be yeah more than glad to see where your thoughts are around that as well because it's the dialogue around it is kind of skewed yeah it, it always begins with with uh before you can even start to have a conversation you have to do basically the impossible and, and try to at least relatively define what God is to you at least just so people you know because everyone has their own definition of it pretty much and it's like uh you know a, a, it's something that, that you can start talking about for hours and you realize that you're just talking about one singular thing and, yeah. Uh, yeah. so it, it, it's something yeah so if you want if you're into that then awesome yeah if if you have space and if you if you think you know there's there's dialogue to happen I'm I'm more than willing to you know, share my understanding of what I've come across and what's been valuable because it definitely has changed my my response to the possibilities of the faith I grew up in. I, I, I would love to hear that because I always consider myself a recovering Catholic because I felt wounded. That was like forced down. And, and mm-hmm. for me, so I've repelled against it. Like uh, I'm more attracted to Hinduism, right? I think mm-hmm. more, more for the fact that I'm just completely repelled from anything to do with Catholic Catholics. Mm-hmm. So to hear like a more in-depth understanding of what the teachings really were before they got skewed, um, I would love mm-hmm. that. I would love that discussion to understand. Yeah, yeah. There's some beautiful symbolism. You know, you go to any church that's there, and yeah. it's like it's not talked about. You know, and so it's always like it's there. It's just like, you know, there's not a how to do it. Is you know, that's kind of one of my intrigues most of how do you another way of like well how do you spread out that message that it's not all what it came to be <laughs> yeah my, my, my whole thing is always um how, how do i get through to people when i'm talking to them so i'll always adjust uh whether i'm going to talk about hinduism or christianity based on the person uh, or uh, you know or even astrology or astronomy or uh, science mm-hmm. i always based it on the person 
how they're going to take it. And uh, I'm not going to force Christianity down Anthony's throat if, if he can if he can work with with Hinduism because I can uh, adjust my uh, the way I speak and, and get things into his head uh, that are in my head into his head uh, using those terminologies. But the mm-hmm. knowledge, the 2,000 plus years of, of Christianity, uh, of the, the the knowledge that's in there, and, and even when you're just talking about the, the cathedrals themselves, uh, are works of art um, that uh, you can stare at and, and just learn so much from. It's something that I feel like you, you shouldn't skip out on this at, at all. Uh, just too much stuff going on there. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, let's let let's do it. Let's do it. Man. Cool. All right. Let's do it. I was trying to get you. I was going to get you guys jazzed up for it. So <laughs> I'm excited. So, uh, Paul, I, I think we've been talking almost an hour and a half, and that the gauge of a great conversation is that you, that time becomes irrelevant. You don't you don't feel it moving. Um, so that's my way of saying I've thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. So carrying on like in a second version at some point, we have some time, um, feels really good. We, I, I'd love to do yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for opening the space and sharing your own stories. It's really, it helps. Like I said, it's that same, like, Hey, I didn't know it was an hour and a half. I have a meeting to go to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you hit that zone, when you're in an elevated state of consciousness, time becomes irrelevant. When yeah. Meditating or when you engage in conversation like this. So again, thank you. Thank you for uh, being part of uh, Spiritual Hustle. Okay. Thanks for launching it. Look forward to the next one. Okay. Uh, we'll reach out to you in a week or two and see when we can do this again. Okay. Beautiful. All right, man. Take care. Look forward to it. Have a beautiful night. Okay.